0: Section 11 of History of the Jews in Russia and Poland, Volume 1, From the Beginning Until the Death of Alexander I, 1825, by Shuman Dubunov, translated by Israel Friedlander. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by S.S. Kim, Seoul, South Korea. Chapter 5. The Autonomous Center in Poland During Its Decline Sixteen forty eight to seventeen seventy two part three six a frenzy of blood accusations the end of the seventeenth century is marked by the frequency of religious trials the Jews being charged with ritual murder and the desecration of church sacraments these charges were indigenous products of the superstition and ignorance of the catholic masses but they were also used for propaganda purposes by the clerical party which sometimes even took a direct hand in arranging the setting of the crime by throwing dead bodies into the yard of Jews and other similar contrivances. Such propaganda often resulted in the adoption of violent measures by the authorities or the mob against the alleged culprits leading to the destruction of synagogues and cemeteries and sometimes culminating in the expulsion of the Jews the cases of ritual murder were tried by the highest court the tribunal of Lublin and owing to the zeal of the astute champions of the church frequently ended in the execution of entirely innocent persons the most important trials of this kind those of sandomir sixteen ninety eight to seventeen ten 1736, and Zaslav, 1747, were conducted in inquisitorial fashion. The Sandomir case was brought about by the action of a Christian woman who threw the dead body of her illegitimate child into the yard of a Kahal elder, by the name of Berek, thus giving the clergy a chance to engineer a ritual murder trial. The case passed through all the courts of law. It was greatly complicated by the fanatical agitation of the priest Stephen Tsukovsky, who brought two additional charges of ritual murder against the Jews of Sandomil and published on this occasion a book full of hideous calumnies. The case having ended in the lower courts favorably for the Jews, Tsukovsky succeeded in bringing about a new trial with the application of tortures And the whole apparatus of the Inquisition. He finally reached his goal. The Tribunal of Lublin sentenced the innocent Jewish elder to death. King Augustus II ordered, in 1712, the expulsion of all Jews from Sandomir and the conversion of the synagogue into a Catholic chapel, and the Catholic clergy placed a revolting picture in the local church, Representing the scene of the ritual murder, to justify the miscarriage of justice, Father Zhukovsky and his accomplices induced a converted Jew, by the name of Serafinovich, who posed as a former rabbi of Brest and had testified at the Sandemil trial against the Jews, to write a book entitled "Exposure of the Jewish Ceremonies Before God and the World," seventeen sixteen. The book a mixture of lunatic uh, lunatic's ravings and an adventurous unrestrained mendacity centers around the arguments that the jews use christian blood in the discharge of a large number of religious and everyday functions the jews are alleged to smear the door of a christian with such blood to predispose the latter in favor of the jews The same blood put in an egg is given to newly married couples during the marriage ceremony it is mixed in the matzah eaten on passover it is also used for soaking an incantation formula written by the rabbi which is then placed under the threshold of a house to secure success in business for the jewish inmate in a word Christian blood is used by the Jews for every possible form of magic and witchcraft. To convict Serafinovich publicly of lying, the Jews challenged him to attend a disputation in Warsaw in the presence of bishops and rabbis. The disputation had been arranged to be held in the house of the widow of a high official, and both the Jewish and Christian participants had arrived but Serafinovich failed to appear at the meeting, where his trickery and ignorance would have been exposed. The refusal of the informer to attend the disputation was attested in an official affidavit. This fact did not prevent an anti-Semitic monk of Lemberg by the name of Pikorsky from republishing Serafinovich's book twice, 1758 and 1760, and using it as a tool to conduct a most hideous agitation against the Jews. In the large Jewish community of Posen, the slanderous accusations against the Jews were the reflection of the inveterate hostility of the local Christian population. Towards the end of the 17th century, the Carmelite order in Posen contrived a curious lawsuit against the Jews alleging that following upon the desecration of the host in 1399, the Jews had, by way of penance for their sacrilege, obligated themselves to accompany the Christian processions. The Jews denied the allegation, and the case dragged on for a number of years in various courts of law, with the result that in 1724, the Jews had to pledge themselves to furnish the Camelites with two pails of oil annually to supply the lamp burning in front of three hosts in the church. But the fanaticism of the church was on the lookout for new victims, and it manifested itself in 1736 in another ritual murder trial, which lasted for four years. Everything was prearranged in accordance with the rites of the church fanatics. The dead body of a Christian child was found in the neighborhood of the city. There was also found a Polish beggar woman who, under torture, confessed that she had sold the child to the elders of the Pozen community. Arrests followed. The first victims were the preacher or Darshan, Ariel Leif Kalaura, a descendant of the martyr Matetya Kalaura, an elder, Parnas or syndic. Of the Jewish community by the name of Jacob Pinkasiewicz, son of Phineas, and several other members of the Kahal administration. Further wholesale arrests were imminent, but many Jews fled from Posen to save themselves from the fury of the inquisitors. On the eve of his arrest, Kalahora chose for the text of his Sabbath discourse the biblical verse. Who can count the dust of Jacob and the number of the fourth part or quarter of Israel? Let me die the death of the righteous. Numbers chapter 23 verse 10. As if anticipating his end, the preacher explained the text as follows. Who can count the dust and ashes of those that were burned and quartered for the faith of Israel? While being led to jail, he addressed the crowd of jews surrounding him with the following words at the hour of my death i shall not have around me ten jews for prayer minyam therefore recite with me for the last time the prayer borku praise the lord of praise the forebodings of the preacher were justified neither he nor the elder survived the finished tortures of the cross-examination while the preacher was tortured, his bones being broken and his body roasted on fire, the elder was compelled to hold a lamp in his hand to give lights to the executioner. Covered with the wounds and blood, in the stage of mortal agony, they were carried to their homes where they died in the autumn of 1736. The deputies of the Jewish community of Posen appealed to King Augustus III against the cruelty and partiality of municipal court and succeeded in having the case transferred to a special judicial commission consisting of royal officials. Although the commission resorted equally to tortures during the cross-examination, it was not able to wrest the confession from the innocent Jewish prisoners. Nevertheless, being convinced in advance the correctness of the ritual libel, The judges sentenced them to be burned at the stake, together with the bodies of the preacher and elder, which had to be exhumed for this purpose, 1737. The sentences had first to be ratified by the king and the Jewish representatives in Warsaw and Dresden, the latter city being the second capital of the king and the residence of the papal nuncio employed every possible means to bring about a reversal of the judgment it was difficult to influence augustus the third the dull-witted monarch who in addition was imbued with the goodly dose of anti-semitism but the noise caused by the trial at posen and the pressure upon the king on the part of the jewish bankers of vienna particularly the banking-house of weltheimer induced him to yield after a prolonged interval and a second revision of the case by a royal commission the king gave orders to free the jews who had languished in prison for four years august 1740. on this occasion he went out of his way to enjoin the magistracy of posen not to resort to tortures in similar trials but he could not refrain at the same time from prescribing to the jews rules of conduct after the medieval pattern, not to pass too frequently beyond the boundaries of their ghetto which had been preserved in Posen; not to associate with Christians, nor caress Christian children, nor keep Christian domestics, nor attend Christian patients, etc. The favorable issue of the Posen trial was due to the fact that it took place in a large Jewish community whose representatives were able to arouse the public opinion of western europe and secure the intervention of influential persons but in the distant corners of poland in the obscure jewish communities of the country the ritual murder trials were in the nature of ghastly nightmares such was the trial of zaslav a town in volhynia which originated in 1747 as a result of a fatal concatenation of events in the springtime when the snow was melting the dead body of a christian was found in a neighboring village having been buried beneath the snow for the considerable time it so happened that about the same time the functionaries of the Zaslav synagogues assembled in a neighboring jewish inn to celebrate the circumcision of a newborn son of the innkeeper. A peasant, who chanced to pass by the inn, informed the authorities that the Jews had been praying the whole night, as well as eating and amusing themselves, and this suggested to the Bernardine monks of Zaslav that the celebration had some connection with ritual murder, the victim of which was the discovered dead body. The Jewish innkeeper, the Kahal elder, the Hasan, Cantor, the Mohel surgeon, and the Beadle of the Zaslav Synagogue were indicted. The accused, in spite of dreadful tortures, reiterated that they had assembled to celebrate a circumcision. Only the youthful Beadle Moshe, crazed by the tortures, began to murmur something, repeating the words which were dictated to him by the accusers though he afterwards withdrew the confession thus forced from him the accused were all sentenced to a monstrous death possible only among savages some of the accused were placed on an iron pail which slowly cut into their body and resulted in a slow torturous death the others were treated with equal cannibalism their skin were torn off in strips their hearts cut out their hands and feet amputated and nailed to the gallows. The memorial prayer for these martyrs concludes with the Biblical words, O earth, cover not thou their blood, and let their cry have no place, until the Lord shall look down from heaven. However, the cry of the Zaslav martyrs was drowned by the shouts of the new victims of ritual murder myth which transformed the christians who consciously or unconsciously allowed themselves to be infected by its poison into cannibals the zaslav trial was followed by an uninterrupted succession of ritual murder accusations which in the course of fifteen years cropped up almost annually the most revolting among them from the point of view of the surrounding circumstances were the trials of Tnaigroth seventeen forty eight, Pavloch and Zitomir seventeen fifty three, Yampol seventeen fifty six, Stu near Schemisl, seventeen fifty nine and Boislavica seventeen sixty. In the Zitomir cases, twenty four Jews were accused of having participated in the murder of the peasant boy Stizinski. Exhausted by tortures and prompted by the desire to hasten their end, they confessed to a crime which they had not committed and were sentenced to death. Eleven were flayed alive, while the others saved themselves from death by accepting baptism. An image of the alleged martyr Stuzensky in the shape of a figure covered with pins was spread by the clergy all over the region to intensify the hatred against the Jews. In Boislavica, near Lublin, the whole kahal was charged with the murder of a Christian boy for the purpose of squeezing out his blood and mixing it with the unleavened bread. The spiritual leaders and elders of the Jewish community were brought to court. One of the accused, the rabbi, committed suicide while in jail. The remaining four were sentenced to be quartered. Before the execution, the priest, holding out the promise of leniency, induced the unfortunate Jews, who had been crazed by their torture, to embrace Christianity. The leniency consisted in their being beheaded instead of being quartered. Terrorized by these inquisitorial trials, the Jewish communities of Poland decided in seventeen fifty eight to send Jacob Zelig or Selig to Rome as their spokesman to obtain from Pope Benedict XIV the promulgation of a bull forbidding these false accusations against the Jews. In the application submitted by Zelig, it is pointed out that the life of Jews of Poland had become intolerable. For as soon as a dead body is found anywhere, at once the Jews of the neighboring localities are brought before the courts on the charge of murder for superstitious purposes. The application was turned over to Cardinal Ganganelli, subsequently Pope Clement XIV, who took up the matter very seriously and suggested that the papal nuncio in Warsaw, Visconti, be instructed to submit a report of the recent ritual murder trials in Poland. When the report arrived, Ganganelli composed an elaborate memorandum in which, as a result of his investigation of the whole history of the question, he demonstrated the falsehood of the ritual murder charges made against Jews, which had been condemned by the Popes in the Middle Ages, particularly by the Bull of Innocent Four of the year 1247. In the Judgment of Ganganelli, all the recent Polish trials were devoid of any basis in fact and the sentences pronounced by the courts, devoting miscarriages of justice. Ganganelli's memorandum was examined and approved by the Roman Tribunal of the Holy Inquisition and submitted to the new Pope Clement XIII. The Pope instructed his nuncio in Warsaw to extend his protection to Zelig, the spokesman of the Jews, on his return to Poland. Subsequently, the nuncio informed the Polish Prime Minister Brühl that the Holy See, having investigated all the foundation of this aberration, according to which the Jews need human blood for the preparation of their unleavened bread, had come to the conclusion that there was no evidence whatsoever testifying to the correctness of that prejudice. 1763 King Augustus Third ratified in the same year the ancient charters of his predecessors, promising the Jews the protection of the law in all ritual murder cases. Yet it was not easy to eradicate the prejudices which had been implanted in the minds of the people. Even the educated classes did not escape their contamination. The contemporary writer Kitowicz, in describing Polish life during the reign of Augustus III, indulges in the following remark. Just as the liberty of the szlachta is impossible without the Laborum veto, so is Jewish matza impossible without Christian blood. 7 the massacre of uman and the first partition of poland undermined by social and denominational strife the once flourishing country was hastening to its ruin from the election of stanislav augustus poniatowski to the throne of poland in seventeen sixty four poland was to all intents and purposes under the protectorate of russia Certain elements of Polish society began to realize that only by radical reforms could the country be saved from its impending doom. But it seemed as if the regime of social and religious fanaticism was too decrepit to pass its own death sentence and await its fate from another hand. In the first years of Stanislav Augustus' reign, Polish politics ran in their accustomed groove. Instead of endeavouring to effect a radical improvement in the condition of Polish Jewry as one of the most important elements of the urban population, the new Polish government thought only of exploiting them as much as possible for the benefit of the exchequer. The Diet of 1764, which was held in Warsaw prior to the election of the king, and discussed the question of internal reforms did not consider it necessary to introduce any changes in the status of the Jews except to alter the system of Jewish taxation. Formerly, the head tax had been levied upon all Polish and Lithuanian Jews annually in a round sum, which the central Jewish agencies, the wards, or the Jewish councils apportioned among the separate kahals and the latter, in turn, allotted to the individual members of the communities. According to the new constitution, however, the head tax to the extent of two gulden was to be imposed on every Jewish soul and each kahal was to be held responsible for the accurate collection from its members. The only effect of this reform was to swell the total amount of the head tax, which as it was weighed heavily upon the jews since many source of livelihood was close to them at the same time the shlakhta, in turn zealously watched over its class interest and in electing the king imposed upon him the obligation of barring the jews from the stewardship of crown domains state taxes and other financial revenues to gratify the hereditary competitors of the jews the Christian burghers and merchants, the diets of 1768 restored the clause of the ancient parliamentary constitution of 1538, by virtue of which the Jews of those cities where they had not obtained special privileges were allowed to engage in commerce only with the consent of the magistracies, and the magistracies were made up of those same Christian merchants and burghers. In the meantime, among the Russian population of that portion of the Ukraine, which was situated on the right bank of the Dnieper, and was still under the sovereignty of Poland, a popular movement arose which was directed simultaneously against the Poles and the Jews. It emanated from the lowest elements of the population, the enslaved village clubs, who had not yet forgotten the times of Bogdan Kmelitsky. The memory of those days when the despised clubs waded in the blood of the proud Polish Pans and the Jews was still fresh in the minds of the Ukrainians and made itself felt in moments of political unrest, not infrequent in the disintegrating body politic of Poland. Fugitive Greek Orthodox peasants from among the serfs of the Pans, itinerant Zaporozhians and Cossacks from the Russian parts of the Ukraine often organized themselves in independent detachments of Heidemarks and indulged in looting the estates of the nobles or plundering the Jewish towns. These incursions assumed the character of regular insurrections during the interregnums and other occasions of political unrest. Thus, in 1734 and in 1750, detachments of haidemarks fully organized and led by cossack commanders devastated many towns and villages in the provinces of kiev volhynia and Podolia, slaying and robbing many pans and jews the haidemark movement of seventeen sixty eight was particularly furious the russian government which beginning with the reign of stanislav Poniatowski, was practically in control of the affairs of Poland, demanded that the dissidents, the Greek orthodox subjects of the country, be granted not only complete religious liberty, but also political equality. A considerable part of the Polish schlachta and clergy objected to these demands and seceding from the Pro Russian government of Poland formed the famous confederacy of Ba for the defense of the ancient religious and political order of things against the encroachments of the foreigners. While the United Royal and Russian troops were fighting against the Confederates, dissatisfaction was brewing among the Greek Orthodox peasants of the Polish Ukraina. Agitators from among the Orthodox clergy and the Zaporozhian instigated the peasants To rise for their faith against the poles who had formed the confederacy of bar for the annihilation of greek orthodoxy a fictitious decree of the russian empress catherine the second known as the golden charter circulated among the people from hand to hand giving orders to exterminate the poles and the jews the desecrators of our holy religion in the ukraina the new Haidemach movement was headed by the Zaporozhian Cossack, Zelizyniak. Beginning with the month of April 1768, the rebellious hordes of Zelizyniak raged within the borders of the present government of Kiev, murdering the pans and the Jews, and devastating towns and estates. The Haidemach were wont to hang a pole, a Jew, and a dog on one tree, and to place upon the tree the inscription lark zid and hound all to the same fate bound a terrible massacre of jews was perpetrated by the haidemarks in the towns of Lysianka and tetiev in the province of kiev from there zelezinyak's hordes moved toward uman an important fortified town with a, at the first rumor of the rebellion Tens of thousands of Poles and Jews had fled for their lives. The place was crowded with refugees to such an extent that the newly arrived could find no room in the town itself and had to camp in tents outside. Uman belonged to the estate of the Voivoda of Kiev, a member of the famous Pototsky family, and was commanded by a governor called Vladanovich. Mladanović had at his disposal a Cossack detachment of the court guard under the command of Colonel Gonta. Despite the fact that Gonta had long been suspected of sympathizing with the Heidemarks, Mladanović saw fit to dispatch him with the regiment of these court Cossacks against Zelizyniak, who was approaching the city. As was to be expected, Gonta went over to Zelizyniak and on June 18, 1768, both commanders turned around and at the head of their armies marched upon Uman. During the first day, the city was defended by the Polish Pans and the Jews, who worked shoulder to shoulder on the city wall, fighting off the besiegers with cannon and rifles. But not all Poles were genuinely resolved to defend the city many of them merely thought of saving their lives governor Mladanovich himself conducted peace negotiations with the haidemarks and was reconciled by their assurance that they would not lay hands on the pans but would be satisfied with making short work of the jews when the haidemarks headed by gonta and zeleznyak had penetrated into the town they threw themselves in accordance with their promise upon the jews who crazed with terror were running to and fro in the streets they were murdered in beast-like fashion being trampled upon the hoops of the horses or hurled down from the roofs of the houses while children were impaled on bayonets and women were violated A crowd of Jews to the number of some 3,000 sought refuge behind the walls of the great synagogue. When the Haidamax approached the sacred edifice, several Jews, maddened with fury, hurled themselves with daggers and knives upon the front ranks of the enemy and killed a few men. The remaining Jews did nothing but pray to the Lord for salvation. To finish with the Jews quickly, The Haidamax placed the cannon at the entrance of the synagogue and blew up the doors, whereupon the murderers rushed inside, turning the house of prayer into a slaughterhouse. Hundreds of dead bodies were soon swimming in pools of blood. Having disposed of the Jews, the Haidamax now proceeded to deal with the Poles. Many of them were slaughtered in their church. Vladanovich and all other Pans suffered the same fate. The streets of the city were strewn with corpse or with mutilated half-dead bodies. About 20,000 Poles and Jews perished during this memorable woman massacre. Simultaneously, smaller detachments of Heidemarks and mutinous peasants were busy exterminating the Shilakta and the Jews in other parts of the provinces of Kiev and Podolia, Where, formerly, the hordes of Bogdan Gmelitski had raged, Jewish blood was again flowing in streams, and the cries of Jewish martyrs were again heard. But this time the catastrophe did not assume the same gigantic proportions as in 1648. Both, the Polish and Russian troops cooperated in suppressing the Heidermak insurrection. Shortly after the massacre of Uman, Zelazyniak and Gonta were captured by the order of Russian General Krichetnikov. Gonta with his detachment was turned over to Polish government and sentenced to be flayed alive and quartered. The other Heidermak detachments were either annihilated or taken prisoner by the Polish commanders. In this way, the Jews of the Ukraine became, a second time, the victims of typical Russian pogroms, the outgrowth of national and caste antagonism, which was rending Poland in twain. The year 1768 was a miniature copy of the year 1648, a commonwealth in which, for many centuries, the relationship between the various groups of citizens was determined by mutual hatred could not expect to survive as an independent political organism. A country in which the nobility despised the gentry, and both looked down with the contempt upon the calling of the merchants and the burgher, and enslaved the peasant, in which the Catholic clergy was imbued with hatred against the professors of all other creeds, in which the urban population persecuted the Jews as business rivals, And the peasants were filled with bitterness against both the higher and the lower orders such a country was bound to perish and poland did perish the first partition of poland took place in 1772 transferring the polish border provinces into the hands of the three neighboring countries russia austria and prussia russia received the southwestern border province the larger part of White Russia, the present government of Bitevsk and Mogilev. Austria took the southwestern region, a part of present-day Galicia, with a strip of Podolia. Prussia seized Pomerania and a part of Great Poland, constituting the present province of Posen. The annexed provinces constituted a nearly third of Polish territory, with a population of three millions, Comprising a quarter of million Jews. The great Jewish center in Poland enters into the chaotic partitional period seventeen seventy two to eighteen fifteen. Out of this chaos there gradually emerges a new Jewish center of the diaspora, that of Russia. End of section eleven